Cool. All right. And beginning in three, two, one. Hello. Welcome to the Talking Serverless Podcast. I am your co-host, Josh Proto. And I am joined today with a very special guest, a good colleague of mine, Emra Shamdan, the VP of Product of Thunder IO, and in my opinion, an expert chaos engineer. <laughs> Emra, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Josh, and thanks for that for your kind words. Like, I'm, I'm like no close to being an expert, but I'm just trying to be learning day by day about chaos engineering, and it's kind of a very nice journey for me to to learn and to share what I learn. With, with other people. Fantastic. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that is, you know, if that's not what an expert does, then uh, I don't know what an expert is then. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. Now, that being said, Emra, I'd love, to, uh, I'd love, and I think the listeners would love to hear a little bit about your sort of journey. You know, how did you end up as, you know, VP of Product of Thunder and being interested in chaos engineering? You know, were you always interested in, uh, sort of injecting chaos into a system and finding out where the breaking points were? Or is this something that sort of developed naturally? Uh, actually, this is kind of a very uh, interesting journey in my, my career. And I never find a chance of talking about this. And <laughs> thanks for, uh, a lot for asking that question. Uh, before I become a product manager, I was a developer for six plus years. And like my last job as a developer was in the Central Bank of Turkey. And okay. I was working on like really mission critical stuff because like when I do make a mistake and I did this, this, uh, it was actually has the effect of like making a bad impact on the country's economy, Turkish economy. And, and uh, we were just seeing some problems and it, like uh, every single time we were just uh, saving the day at the last minute and, and we were always thinking like, hey, we should have been experienced this before. And uh, just at that time, I, I start searching about like how can we just experience the problems before they actually happen. And I start reading about chaos engineering, and I start like we even just like make some even uh, small game days in in central bank uh, just to make uh, ourselves more robust when we have the next problem. But like to be honest, like there was no distributed system there. It was like more like a monolith, which is very complicated. Uh, this was also another way of chaos, actually, and and it was not chaos engineering that we as we understood. Then I I decided to become a, shift my career into to more business uh, part, and uh, I I I transitioned to a product manager job. And after that, I, I joined Opsgenie uh, uh, while I was working there. And, you know, Opsgenie is all about incident management and DevOps. And uh, I finally had the chance of uh, working on um, more like real chaos engineering on distributed systems. And we were running, uh, you know, small experiments there. And I was just uh, coordinating. And, and after that, uh, you know, Tundra started. And uh, and I remember that day, like Opportunity Founders came and said to me that, hey, uh, we have this project called Tundra, and it is somewhat not, not very related to Opportunity. It is somewhat an internal project that we are using. We are just like making it public and just let people use. I don't know, like I don't know if we will even make money out of it. We will just like let people use, and we will see how the reaction is. And we want you to take care of it as a product manager. This all started like like this, 
and like all the team was there, Serkan was there already. And I just joined like part time. Like I was doing my Obscene job part time, and I was doing my Tundra uh, job part time. And you know, Josh, serverless community is the greatest one like that I have been. Uh, and I believe uh, it too. Yeah, we we got very positive feedbacks in in several months, and uh, that belief uh, happened in its, in us that like, hey, Tundra is actually really really a team. We should make this something real something for for everyone not only for senior engineers and it just gets bigger and bigger and uh like sometime in summer in summer in 2018 atlassian decided to buy obscene and obscene got a card by atlassian and but like neither second nor me we didn't want to actually jump into this enterprise train yet because we had this in like beautiful nice uh product which is which is very small mm-hmm. under and we we wanted to spell an option founders agreed with us and we just wanted to spun out of uh tundra out of out of obscene story and tundra became a separate company when obscene was acquired by atlassian and as the first person as the product manager is the first person who actually like i'm not the only product manager for tundra i have never been i was the one who was actually uh the you know this installed the crm i was the one like write the first blog post documentation and everything i was more like a uh Sarkan does the technical stuff i was i was doing the non-technical and uh just like new company just make me uh, VP and as if like uh, Sarkan was a senior engineer I was I was a product manager Sarkan became CTO I was I became uh, you know uh, the VP of product like this is like uh, I, I was in the right place in at the right time but uh, I, I I love being part of Tundra journey it took absolutely so <laughs> to explain <laughs> <laughs> no I, th- I think I think that you definitely did a great job there I think you definitely see the connections I'd love to hear just a little bit more about really interested in your time at the uh, Central Bank of Turkey, as you were saying, and sort of how that experience sort of shaped your journey into where you are now? Or did you learn specifically, did you sort of learn anything about sort of the process of how they did things that have really influenced the way that you either approach chaos engineering uh, or skills that you bring to Thunder now? Even if it's, they used to do this and it was a terrible process, I hated it, and now I make sure I don't do that. I'm interested to see how those two things relate. Yeah, so like uh, I can say that there are some you know negative things that like uh, we could actually make it better, but you know the bureaucracy and everything that makes it a bit harder to to actually fix the things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I learned really important things there because you know uh, like you do something very mission critical. You are actually uh, playing with the real money of millions or billions of. Uh, dollars or Turkish liras and and like Certainly. the mistakes that y- you can make, the mistakes that your software can make can cost r- really, really big amounts of money. And that actually uh, teaches everyone in Central Bank to to use the tools effectively just to more like APM tools and the debugging tools and, you know, the troubleshooting tools. And I just like uh, got my first interaction with uh, I don't know. I should name it now, but uh, the first APM tool that they were using uh, on their on their on-prem installation. Maybe this can give a clue. 
and I just saw I just saw well, like how an APM tool should be there like, because I was the user of that, and uh, I just saw like what what is the human factor of the mistakes that can happen in, in this kind of a financial institution, and how can we actually get rid of those? And it is actually most of the time the human factor that causes the problems in, in like the mm-hmm. it's not actually the system like. I don't know. I don't. I, this is kind of in my empirical observation. Uh, it's nothing more than uh, it's nothing for like going for uh, research. But I believe that the mistakes we made cr- caused bigger problems than the mistakes the system can can make. And the central bank just taught me uh, that like how can you uh, carefully uh, um, and dedicatedly uh, look for issues even before they happen. Uh, I learned code reviewing there. I learned how to, you know, synchronize between teams in, uh, to get rid of human mistakes, and it was like uh, very, very. And I, it just like there were some people which were which were indispensable to the, to the bank. Uh, I just learned like how bad practices can make this. Like if this person gets retired and it, it was taking like six months for like five other people to learn everything else and it was not actually a good practice and i, I learned like both the human human size human uh, part of the uh, you know picture and also you know the system part of the picture with with the first introduction to apm tools first introduction to debugging and code reviewing and everything else it was a good experience i i'm, I'm proud of being being working there Absolutely. It sounds like, you know, you definitely were able to learn a lot and then apply it. And I think, you know, there's a lot of value in being able to, you know, have those experiences and, you know, industries that maybe initially um, you would think, oh, they have nothing related to each other. But at the end of the day, you're working with a lot, a lot of people. And I think, you know, a powerful thing that you were able to pull away, which you just shared was that, you know, a, a one person's bad decision or misdecision could potentially cause way more problems than the system itself, what the system is capable of. You know, a person has to tell the computer what to do or, uh, or that sort of thing along the ways. Exactly. Exactly. So I would also like to ask you, Emra, if you could, you know, for people who aren't as familiar with chaos engineering, um, or only slightly, if you could sort of explain a little bit about, you know, what is the principles of chaos engineering? Why would I want to do this? And maybe some of the benefits that you've seen from implementing uh, that sort of process. Uh, yeah, this is kind of a very, very, you know, deep topic, but I will, I will try to be very brief about it. it actually, chaos engineering is, uh, can, be, can be just defined as breaking the things on purpose. So, like, and it is more applicable uh, on distributed systems uh, in the sense that, like, it doesn't mean that you can't do chaos engineering on your monolithic applications, but uh, you have more reasons to do this on distributed applications because, like, when you have distributed applications, uh, like microservices and the with, even with serverless, you know, you are just making things separated, and when some some of these fails, like, you don't know how the rest of them will react. So you you actually break this on purpose in a controlled environment. Mm-hmm. And and you see, uh, and you come up with a theory. Hey, I believe that if I, you know, uh, inject the latency to let's say five percentage of my requests coming through, I want to experience a throttle on my database. This is your theory when you do a chaos experiment, and you test this theory. So, uh, and but you test it uh, 
on a controlled environment and you have a rollback plan and you know what to do when, when things go wrong. And you make sure that like nothing else happens. So uh, like when you are testing this query, if you see that your database didn't uh, experience any throttle, you are good. Like uh, your theory was correct. Uh, but if your theory uh, turns out to be false and you, if you start experiencing a database throttle, uh, first, you have the chance of getting it back uh, because you know how to get it back uh, beforehand. And second, mm-hmm. you, you see what has happened in the system. So you see database throttled and it caused uh, some third-party service uh, to, to, to be throttled again. It caused, you know, some downstream services out of, uh, like, taking data from the database goes down. And it even just break the, like more things that you would expect. So this is the uh, this is not the way that like you should do it at, at, at your chaos experiments. Like you should have a you know uh, a really defined blast radius. So they are calling it blast radius. You should know oh, yeah. where will the the blast happen, and uh, if it goes like to hold your system, then like uh, it means that you are actually running a wrong chaos experiment. But you know you should like what I'm trying to explain here is that. You know what, uh, you know that like you did something to your system yourself, you are expecting something to, to be broken or not, and you see that it is, it, is, it is being done or not. If it fails, it's good. Like you, you just make the experiment and now you have the room to fix the issues before they actually happen. If it doesn't, you are also good that you didn't break, break anything and you can now think more about like how to actually. Like what are the other scenarios mm-hmm. that make your system uh, kaput in German? Actually, yes, yes, definitely. And then, um, what sort of things have you seen that you've been able to discover or hear from different clients? What they've been able to discover uh, in order by uh, because they were implementing a uh, chaos engineering process. Uh, like uh, you know, we do chaos engineering experiments in serverless Estandra. So like mm-hmm. maybe I should explain it before I, I explain what what I see in clients. Uh, so uh, like we as a as a APM or like application performance monitoring and security company have the man and the middle position. So like mm-hmm. in order to measure how long does it take to actually uh, to 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 get some value from database, we should be there to measure uh, and we should see what was the parameters in there. We actually use this position just to uh, inject chaos in, in, in any call. Let's say that your function, your application is making an API call to a third party. Uh, we are already there to measure how long will it take, like what, what, what was the payload and everything else. So we can actually use this position and we can programmatically inject some latency there. We can programmatically inject some, uh, replace the you know, response with, with, with something erroneous. So uh, we let our people, our customers, to do this, and using that, people actually uh, discovered a lot. And especially uh, when you have the kinesis cases, like when you have the stream cases uh, for for initiating a lambda function. So think about like uh, when you have one poisonous message, and uh, your function is failing to consume this, and your iterator age is growing and growing. So in in such cases. Uh, like some of the clients that we have just didn't put kind of an, uh, you know, how to deal with this uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, 
they actually discovered such problems. So when they ask me that, like, what type of chaos experiments uh, do you do you recommend us? Uh, uh, and like, my first answer is actually inject an error uh, to your to your uh, kinesis streams and see if, uh, if your systems will be, will react uh, better. And the second is actually uh, inject latency to arbitrary places and see if 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 you will experience any timeouts. Uh, and how how your system will will react. So most of the time, people uh, look at the happy path while while arranging the timeouts of lambda functions. But like a lambda function calls another one, another function, the, the another lambda function just uh, call like makes a call to a third party API, and it takes more than expect. Like both lambda functions gets timeout, and it's called mm-hmm. whole system just collapsed. And this is uh, very, uh, you know, probable uh, in in the systems that we see with customers, and you know, it is it is not it is not like it's not your fault like always to design a system that can be standing for that. Like this is what chaos engineering for. So like such things can happen, but the the, the thing is that you you learn about them before you actually happen before these actually happen with your customers. You learn it yourself and don't don't make your system down. It is it is the idea. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's one of the most valuable pieces of information to get is if you can find if you can discover sort of a a backdoor weakness to your system that you didn't know that you had. And not that many processes are really able to do that. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of value in the chaos engineering uh as, as a process, as sort of a, as an ideology, um, you know, I have a family member and they've been a consultant in the waste industry for probably like 40 years. And, you know, they have always said this thing said, you know, Josh, if it's not broke, break it, because if you break it, you know, what goes wrong and you can make it stronger. And there's so much parallels between, I think that sort of mindset and the, and the chaos engineering. And there's so much value to be had. Um, I think the only question that sort of comes up is, um, to adopt a to adopt this process or this testing procedure, is there any size of an organization that you would maybe recommend against sort of implementing uh, a, a, this uh, injecting of the chaos into the system, or does it have a certain place in your overall testing strategy and health and building the health of your application? Or how would you recommend one would go go through this process? Yeah, this is this is I think like like a very important discussion that we should all just talk about when we start talking about chaos engineering. Definitely. You know, like uh, in order to do chaos engineering, you should already have some, you know, some maturity in terms of understanding your your environment. So like like uh, Think about like you you have uh, two developers in your team and you don't have proper monitoring and you don't have uh, proper testing even and you just wanted to break some part of your system just you just want to take some EC2 machines down and see what happens so like there is a problem in the sentence as well like how are you going to see what happens so absolutely in order to have the chaos experiments. You need to, I think, in my opinion, at least have some some good testing practices beforehand and very good monitoring uh, practices. Uh, you know, this is kind of a uh, cycle that that's actually feeding itself. But you need to you need to have good tests for the for the cases that are known to you. Like you know, chaos engineering is about unknown issues. You don't, you just don't know what will happen when you take something down. 
but you know like what would happen when you give this input. So for such kind of cases, you are writing tests. You are writing unit tests, you are writing integration tests, you are writing load tests, but this is all just about you you are just writing test cases for the for the results that you expect. But for uh, and you you do monitoring for the for this kind of stuff and for for to see that if there's any kind of an anomaly in 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 some metrics or stuff in in some metrics if there's any kind of latency somewhere and you know how your system should behave normally so this is what it called steady state in chaos engineering you should know that mm-hmm. what is the normal of your system right after that like you can t- start thinking about chaos engineering. It's not a game just to play. It's not a game just to break some some part of your system down. It is. It's a serious process to to unreveal some issues. But in order to unreveal these issues, you, you need to have correct tooling uh, uh, at your hand to 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 make sure that you will discover when you are running a chaos experiments. So that's why actually we at Standra thought that hey, we already have monitoring solution. And if we do chaos engineering, we can just provide a one tool for them, like run the chaos experiments and see the results. And this is actually what inspired us going going through. And in terms of recommendation of running the first chaos experiments, we always talked about like running it on production. But I believe uh, this might not be the, like the, the best way of doing it for the first time. So uh, you know, like you have some pre-production environment or staging environment. And you can mm-hmm. use this environment to run the first chaos experiment and see, uh, you know, what would happen in production. So uh, unless you are actually more, you know, seasoned in terms of uh, running chaos experiments, I wouldn't advise to to just run on production. So you can just play with the chaos in staging and see what are the possible issues. And I, I assume that staging is actually mirroring the production in this case. And this is also another maturity level. And, and you see what hap- what would happen. And after after you get uh, uh, the uh, maturity as a team, it's not actually one-man shop because, you know, you, you respond to the issues as a team and you need to also respond uh, to the, uh, the chaos engineering experiments as a team. Like everyone should be on board. And... After that, you see that, uh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay doing some chaos experiments in staging and I discovered already some stuff. What if I tested under the same, like the real load, under real traffic? So after after a while, you can start chaos experiments on production. And to be honest, if you are like, like as a, as a person who evangelized chaos engineering a lot in, in any, any occasions, like mm-hmm. uh, I don't see that much of maturity in, in many companies. So... If and like I, I like I cannot uh, say that like hey everyone come to chaos engineering it, it, it it's going to be fun it's not like this it's like have the proper tooling have the proper uh, you know uh, company rules even like cultural uh, readiness for such things and uh, like you have this harmony in the team you know how to react to issues and after that it, it you can start. Uh, uh, experimenting and finally I just wanted to say last thing about it like mm-hmm. uh, as you may notice I didn't talk about company size so you can be a you know a startup with like uh, with some already some engineering values and then proper uh, tools like ours we didn't we don't have a big team but we are doing in my opinion great in terms of 
uh, understanding what we are doing, uh, or you can be just a very big enterprise. So it doesn't, in my opinion, uh, uh, tie to the to the company size, but it it ties to the uh, tooling, uh, the practices, and and uh, and other stuff. No, that that's a very important distinction to make because. You know, I think in, in a lot of the work that, that I'm doing with the clients in the serverless space, you know, it's easy to see like certain patterns. There's like not a lot of people who even I, I've even talked to who are really able to do robust monitoring practices. And so if they don't have uh, good testing and good monitoring practices, um, it's sort of not appropriate for them, as you're saying, to suggest, a, you know, this chaos engineering process in that sort of way. Uh but I'm, I wonder what your thoughts are on if, you know, as this industry specifically, you know, in, in the serverless industry starts to mature uh, or in general, do you think that the chaos engineering practices will become more popular? Is this sort of the natural extension of what happens when you have really dialed in testing and monitoring procedures? Or do you think it'll still need just some extra evangelization and some extra support in order to get people to really see the value it has to bring? Uh, like you know, like uh, in our in our private chats with you, I always uh, talk about this. Mm-hmm. I like really believe that serverless will be the default of the cloud. I don't know when, but uh, I have some predictions. Uh, maybe in two, maybe in three, maybe in five years, when we talk about cloud, we won't talk about virtual machines. We won't talk about even maybe people can argue me uh, like unmanaged containers they can talk about managed containers but mm-hmm. we will talk about serverless all the things and this means that everything will continue to be even more distributed everything will continue to be even more open to failures because of you because of the system because of the bad practices because of the bad management and everything else and like the adoption in, in cloud adoption in serverless increases the we like the all the people will see that like testing for nouns will not be enough, uh, monitoring for non-noun issues will not be enough, and this will actually bring the discussion to to observability. So you know you know the distinction between monitoring and observability. You 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 monitor your system you know as an activity, as an ops team, but you make your system mm-hmm. observable. Uh, with your efforts. So monitoring is an activity, observability is a state. So like in this difference, you do testing for nouns and you will continue to do this testing for nouns. And what you will do uh, chaos experiments to discover about your unknowns. And like as the serverless will become the default of cloud, in my opinion, chaos engineering, it can take a bit more than like uh, uh, what it takes for serverless to become the default of cloud, but I believe chaos engineering will be also default of, uh, you know, not testing, but, you know, making sure that we have a robust system. So, like, maybe it will be just so popular that we will use chaos testing instead of chaos engineering, but uh, I believe I won't agree at that time as well, because, you know, it's not testing. You are not testing something that, you know, you are just just breaking something and definitely just, like, want to understand want to if we are testing something we are testing our theory and it's it's nothing it's it's nothing that we saw behave like previously i believe i yeah. I, I just like uh, answered a bit uh, not very structured way but uh, <laughs> i hope that it, it helps 
No, I th- I think you definitely uh, got an answer across to the question that I was asking. One hundred percent. Good. Just you know, was just trying to get get a feel to see uh, you know when one has all of this increased ability to um, not just monitor but to like more monitoring and more observability in the space, especially if the you know all of cloud development is really going to be moving to to serverless. Um, you know, from our conversations that we've had in the past and from the blogs that I know Thunder has put out and that you've helped write and from our conversation, there definitely just seems to be a huge amount of value to chaos engineering. And I think the industry as a whole eventually needs to, will eventually have to wrap their head around uh, how does one sort of manage all of this increased volume of activity and how do I discover the problems that are going on that I may not be aware of? Because, you know, if, as you said in the beginning of the conversation, if one individual person's def- decision can be the thing that makes uh, makes a large problem happen, um, then we need to find better ways to catch those human-made problems before they show up because they've just been architected into the system. And uh, you know, the case for their uh, rev- the case for them to be revealed hasn't been happened yet. They have they haven't had the time yet to show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe, like you know, uh, this is kind of an inevitable uh, this like discussion. So Netflix actually needed this ten years ago. So, like I I mm-hmm. I, I can say that like we, none of the many of the companies, let's say, is not like in the maturity level of Netflix. But uh, the mm-hmm. like we will come to somewhere near because we will we will have like these systems which are as distributed as them with, with even with serverless. And and such systems should be robust. So this this would be the reason that. Uh, and just a disclaimer: I'm not saying that imitating big companies can make you success. You don't need to imitate Netflix. Sure. But your systems will imitate Netflix uh, sooner or later, inevitably, and you'll need chaos engineering uh, to understand it. No, definitely. I I definitely fully agree on that one. Um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of pitfalls I think companies can fall into when they just see a you know some large enterprise and they're like we have to make that we have to be that 100 percent in all the different ways. But um, you know there's certain stages. But one thing that's appealing of the chaos engineering is that you know you can sort of as long as you have testing and uh, some monitoring and observability practices built in, uh, you can experiment with it. Uh, just don't blow up your entire production server if that's the only thing you have and then think it's going to be a really good, uh, you know, you're going to learn a lot. You'll probably learn a lot. You, you'll learn that you should have had staging and it should have been mirroring your production. <laughs> yeah, like, but it might not be the, the best way of learning this, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we can, you know, this is why the listeners listen to this podcast is so they can learn that, uh, learn that piece of information for free. They don't have to do it themselves. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now maybe in a more, in a more broad way, uh, because, you know, I think you're one of the people who are certainly on the ground in the dirt and doing a lot of thinking about the future of the serverless space as a whole. Uh, you touched a little bit on this when I was asking you about the chaos engineering, but what sort of things are you seeing right now in the serverless space that's sort of, you know, uh, inspiring you, exciting you, and where do you sort of see things going? Are there any, are there any trends or thoughts that you've been having recently that have been particularly interesting? Uh, I think this is a very good question. So like, in my opinion, the, the, the previous years before, you know, this year, and maybe like the, we can also count in the last, six months of last year as well it was like you know 
the times of very cool 100% serverless projects. So we people were doing, even with the big, big enterprises, uh, were doing some new projects and they were doing it with serverless and they don't need to actually, and serverless was was in, in the kind of a trial there and and it, it just uh, worked really perfect, not perfect, but it really worked good uh, in like, even even do even like although there are some limitations, and service actually proved itself uh, for the organizations in the previous years, and with that now, and uh, now organizations are now taking uh, the the steps towards migrating the existing applications to to serverless a lot faster than normal, and you know this this uh, mm-hmm. concerns around coronavirus it makes it like slower. But I can definitely see that, like now, we are not only doing uh, greenfield projects, but like there are now more and more, uh, you know, brownfield or uh, nothing like lift and shift, but like migrating existing applications uh, to serverless uh, by rearchitecting them uh, using serverless paradigms. And there are also some, you know, improvements on the on the vendor side. Like as I know, AWS at most. Like AWS is always like making things easier and easier. Like cold starts were a problem. Like we can say now say that like luckily say that cold starts were a problem. After uh, yes. from, from now on, uh, cold starts still a problem, but it's not it's not something as serious as like one year before. And you know, mm-hmm. event sourcing was a problem, and event breaches you know is the best way of now in these days to to actually communicate between applications. And we love event breach, and you know there are like runtimes where problem and custom runtimes came, and you know th- there are very cool stuff running on around like PHP serverless, and it, it's going crazy. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's even like I really like those people who are doing serverless with PHP. Uh, uh, you know, the Matthew Napoli uh, from France uh, is is actually doing is heading this, in my opinion. And this was this was the problem, and you know the limitations of like five minutes. It's just now become uh, fifteen minutes. I and I know that they will they will con- like continue to do some improvements to make it like more production ready. And like I believe, as of now, we cannot say that like uh, that serverless is not production ready. If you think that serverless is not production ready, you. you it might mean that I don't want to just blame it uh, somebody that I don't know, but it might mean that uh, you are you are just looking at your system from the perspective that you you are now. Yes, like serverless requires some rearchitecting, serverless requires some rethinking. But this is kind of a good exercise that you should make to make your system more modern. And uh, in this case, you can actually run a system uh, like with serverless. On production and with, with no problem. We are now in these ages, and and I don't I believe that like I'm not the only person who sees this, and because there are now many companies just rearchitecting their existing applications to to make it serverless. And no, I, no, I, I, I think it yeah. will continue. It will continue, and you know, as I said, serverless will be the the default for cloud. Absolutely. Uh, are we celebrating the you know? Uh, discontinuation of uh, VMs on, on platforms in maybe five years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that definitely is something, something we can look forward to. Yeah. 
Absolutely. All right. So I don't want to take up all of your time, Emra, for today. I really appreciate, uh, you know, just all the information you're able to give us and insight you were able to give us on chaos engineering and sort of the key places of how, you know, differences between observability and monitoring and how they're playing a role in order to just improve your entire system process and improving, uh, proving your understanding of just what it can really uh, withstand given a certain amount of chaos and given a certain amount of shock to the system. So thank you so much for uh, taking the time. And if there was any listeners who wanted to either get in touch with you or learn more about chaos engineering and your thoughts on it, is there a place that they could reach out to you or that we can link to in the, in the show notes? Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly available on Twitter and okay. with my Amrastamdan, uh, you know, tag. And they can reach out to me by email, emrahetandra.io. And, and I'm also on LinkedIn, like on, on several Slacks. <laughs> like you, you, I'm, I'm open to any kind of communication. And I will be glad to talk about serverless, chaos engineering, microservices in general. Like this is kind of my passion. And absolutely, my pleasure to be here, Josh. Like really, I really always like chatting with you. And it was very nice to chat with you here in the podcast as well. Uh, thank you so much. I I always love our chats too. So, you know, it just sort of seemed natural as we're doing the Talking Serverless podcast. And I'm like, oh, I know exactly who I want to talk to on the podcast. So uh, I'm glad it was able to work out. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. And to all the listeners, thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to listen today. If you have any questions, comments, if you really liked it, please leave us a review. Um, and if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us on Talking Serverless. Thank you once again, and we will talk to you next time.